0: All right, this morning's uh, reading is um, two parts, Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 11. So here, the word of the Lord. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And will not God give justice to his elect who who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Luke chapter 11. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, friend? Lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend yet because of his his impudence, He will arise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is the word of the Lord. While you haven't met persistence um, until you've had to try and not Answer a phone call from my daughter Haley. Haley has a way, and I've asked her permission for this, so you can talk to her about it afterwards. Um, but Haley has a way. This is new thing she's developed in the last five years. And uh, when, when let's say she calls, particularly when she calls my wife Becky, she'll call, and if she doesn't, Becky doesn't pick up for some reason, and you know sends her to voicemail or or lets it ring on. Um, Haley will um, start texting. No, not texting, barraging. About every second there will be a one-word text. Ma, 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 mom, 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 mom mother, 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 mims, 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 which is fine because you know I keep my phone on silent. <laughs> Becky does not. So imagine we're in this conversation, a serious conversation, in which I'm sure Becky's admitting how she's wrong and I'm right, something like that. And one of those kinds, you know those conversations. And, um, and you just keep hearing ding, 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 ding. <clears throat> the option of turning it off could be a thing. But here's what's crazy. It works. It works. We always have to, in some way, shape, or form, answer. Whether it's, leave us alone, we're fighting, or something like that, or... <laughs> Or, I'll call you later. Or even maybe actually picking up the phone and, and, and calling. Now, I am not advocating this, teenagers, as a means of trying to engage your parents and answering your calls when you need them. Parents, I am advocating this as a way of engaging your teenagers when they're not answering. <laughs> this is definitely a good tool because it does work. But that's that's persistence. That's um, more than persistence. I think that's uh, that's impudence, that is Shameless audacity. Well, this is uh, your first week, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, about persistence. The disposition of prayer Where we're focusing our hearts on this morning is, especially as we close this series. Now, if you're just joining us, we've been building this composite picture of what it means to pray well to be the kind of people who integrate the variety of dispositions of prayer in a way that, that creates one smooth and effective and transformative and relationally uh, renewing way of praying to God So it feels less like discrete elements and becomes one single fabric of relating to God, which is what prayer is. It's, it's relating to God. It's, um, it's connected to God in both awe and intimacy, it's keeping company with our father, which is why the emphasis of the series has been to pray more. And again, not just to pray more, but to become the kind of people who pray more and therefore know God and love him more. And so, so far we've looked at what it means to pray more honestly, which, which means that we don't pray as we ought to be or as, as we should be or as we wish we would be, but as we are, bring ourself, our real self to God. To pray more truthfully, which means to pray with our Bibles open. To pray in a way that says, I want to relate to the God as he is. As he's revealed himself in the scriptures and how he would speak to me. That it would be the real God who speaks to me. We've talked about what it looks like to pray more humbly. To pray with knees bent and and two phrases on our lips. Your will be done and Lord have mercy on me. We walk through what it means to, to pray more helplessly. To fully Depend on God to move, to fertilize, and acknowledging both our poverty and our deep longing that in all things, we would believe that apart from him, we can do nothing. And the last week, we focused on what it means to pray more expectantly, to pray with, with faith-filled hearts, asking confidently, believing that God will answer and that he can do anything that he will either give us what we ask for or that he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. And so this week, we're gonna spend this final time talking about what it looks like to pray more persistently, asking that God to weave that into this medley of other means of prayer that we would pray faithfully and well. Now, you see this persistence in both of the um, the parables that I read. The parable of the, of the impudent um, impudent friend is is just, it's fascinating. If if you don't understand how Jewish literature works, it can seem like what a strange story. And it is somewhat of a strange story. Now at the beginning, if you remember, at the beginning of chapter 11, his disciples have looked at Jesus because he'd been praying and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus spends a few seconds giving them, here is the Lord's prayer. Here is the way, here are the words that you use when you're praying, praying to the Lord. And then to illustrate, he shares the story I just read. And of course, it's the story of this man who who finds himself in need of bread. And so he goes to his friend's house and he starts pounding on the door. He starts knocking and it's midnight. Now, I know for some of you, midnight is just the beginning of the night. I don't know what's wrong with you, but that is a reality for some of you. This is real midnight. This is actually when people went to bed, you know, at normal times, like eight. And uh, so everyone's asleep. This entire scenario is playing itself out where where no one's awake. This is a real disruption. This friend comes and he starts knocking on the door. And he hears from his friend, leave me alone. It's probably a whisper. And he's saying in his one bedroom house, which was pretty much how everyone lived back then, there was one room and there was one bed, which is why he says, my children are with me in bed. Leave us alone. And I think every parent in here acknowledges, right? You do not want to wake up your kids in the middle of the night. I mean, that's, that's impudence alone. The thought, the thought of your children waking up somewhere around midnight or one o'clock, like, what's the odds they're going back to sleep smoothly? Not good. Not good at all. And so, so there's, there's all kinds of factors at play in here. And this, this doesn't even seem to be like a real emergency. Now, it's really not an emergency in our context. You're like, dude, go to Walmart, they're open 24 hours a day, right? So that's not a real problem we have. Three loaves is not the end of the day. We probably have something in our pantry like some green beans that would work. In this context, of course, it's way more challenging. We're talking about shame of not having something ready for a guest. Hospitality was a whole nother level than what we experience here in the West now. So so we're talking about something that's that's real and it is and it is a challenge to this particular friend, but but it's not an emergency. Like his wife didn't fall in a well or something. You know, he's not having to to really rush out and say, we need all kinds of people to with torches to try and figure out what to do. It doesn't it's not an emergency. And yet He keeps knocking. He keeps knocking. And though the friend doesn't want to get up, he realizes that there's really no other option. And at this point, he risks all of his family waking up and gets him what he asks for. He gives in. But why? Why does he give in? Jesus says that he doesn't give him the bread because he's his friend. He actually makes that very clear. It's not because he likes him at this moment. I think he's maybe not his friend anymore at this point. It's not because he's his friend. He says what? Because of his impudence. Now, I know you were using impudence this morning. Talking to your children, probably. What does impudence mean? The Greek word means shamelessness, rudeness, discourtesy, lack of sensitivity, to with what is proper, it's impertinence. And this is pretty incredible, think about it. Because Jesus is saying that the model for prayer is bother God. I mean twice, actually in both parables, the word bother is there. You're bothering me, the friend says. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's exactly how you should pray. Which, let's be honest, is not what you would expect from, frankly, any religion. This doesn't even seem to make common sense. This is how we are supposed to to ask from God? Shameless audacity? Surely not. But to make sure that his disciples don't miss it, seven chapters later, Jesus gives him another parable. In case there was misinterpretation on the first, Jesus starts talking about this widow. This widow who keeps coming to a judge who doesn't want to give her justice. She just shows up over and over and over again. And this judge who doesn't want to give her justice says after a while yet, he says, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, understand, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. Now, I understand what illustrations are supposed to do. This is just a strange story. It's a a, a parable, and this is important. Jesus follows up the story by saying that God will give justice to his elect. As they cry day and night, he will... Uh, Will he delay long over them? Mm. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Do you hear it? Cry. Cry out day. Cry out night. The Lord will answer. Bother him. Shamelessly. Ask. Be impudent. Now, it seems like Especially in Luke 11, Jesus seems to give us a physical manifestation of what it means to be persistent or impudent in our prayers. And he, he gives us the knocking metaphor. Which if you think about it, like, like that's not knocking, right? That's just like at our house, a bird hitting a window, right? And that happens all the time in our house. i be like, someone at the door? It's like, oh no, it's just one thud. It's just a bird, again. Now knocking is repeated, right? It's over. And over and over. That's persistent praying. It's not grandiose, is it? It doesn't seem to capture the imagination. And yet it's exactly what Jesus invites us into. Repetition that brings about a response. And by the way, knocking is not tapping. It's not, you know, throwing pebbles at a little window. No, knocking is deliberate. It's present. It's, I'm here. Someone must respond. I will continue until someone does. Now, you have to remember that these are parables. They're not allegories. Now, an allegory is when you have all the different, you know this, you're an English teacher. All allegories, and the rest of you probably know it too. I apologize. Um, (laughs) uh, Allegories are where every figure and every person in a story represents someone or something else. So like, um, like in Narnia, Aslan is Jesus. You know, you don't have, even if you don't know anything about Jesus, you're like, this sounds like Jesus. You know, so, so Aslan is Jesus. That's, that's like an allegory and everything is something, right? Um, But in a parable, a parable is designed to point to one thing. It's got one message, one point. And here, Jesus was asked how to pray. How to present our prayers. He wasn't asked what God is like when he hears our prayers. So when you listen to this parable, you don't go like, so God is like grumpy friend, angry judge? No, no, that's not the point of the parable. The point, of the parable is not pointing toward how does God answer when we pray. It says, what kind of prayers do we pray when we present them to him? That's the point of the parable. And Jesus says, do you know what kind of prayers Shameless prayers, relentless, impertinent audacity. That, that's, that's the fabric. Now, does that surprise you? It should. It's, it's strange to think about a, a faith. You think about, think about Islam or Judaism, like impertinence, shameless. That, that doesn't fit. It doesn't work. And yet here it is. And of course, these parables aren't an anomaly. If you find yourself going into the scriptures what you discover is that there's all kinds of models of this very kind of praying. Take, take Abraham, for example. Abraham hears from God that God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of its wickedness. And he comes, he tells us to Abraham, and Abraham says, I think I have a, He says, yes, um, in Genesis 18, 23. He says, then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place... So we believe the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it. And God says, all right, there are 50 righteous. I won't destroy it. And this is when it gets awesome. Because Abraham says, how about 45? 45, what's five five more, five less? What about 45? And God's like, all right, 45. What about 40? What, What if there's 40. All right, if there's 40, if there are 40 righteous persons, I won't destroy this. What what about 30? What if there's there's just 30? What about 20? There's 20, I won't. What what about 10? Every time I read that story in Genesis, I want to like lean over to Abraham and be like, dude, (laughs) what are you doing? It's it's crazy. I mean, the, the shamelessness. The unabashed asking, the bargaining with God. It's audacity striking. You see it with Moses too. You know, Moses fled from Egypt. He finds himself in front of the burning bush, which I know we're always like, oh, right. Yeah, it's the burning bush moment. Like he's in front of a burning bush and it's not consuming itself. So we'll just slide that aside and be like, that's a normal day for Moses. And he's there and God speaks to him. And God says, I have prepared you to send you to deliver Israel. And Moses says, can you send someone else? And so he says, well, listen, Lord, that's that's rape. How how will they know that I'm really speaking from you? And he says, it's okay. Just tell them I am who I am. He says, well, how will they know that actually I have any power to accomplish this? He says, well, I'm going to give you three particular signs that are unique and and that are going to show my power. And he's like, okay, okay. Well, listen, I'm really not good with words. And God's like, it's okay. I made the mouth. So I'm going to take care of you. Then finally, because he's run out of everything else, he's like, so can you just send someone else? I mean, that's 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 the discourse. That's the audacity of like, the burning bush is in front of him. And he's like, no, but really, can, can someone else go? And God says, Aaron's on his way. Now, just a few chapters later, not too far after the section we read this morning, um, M- Moses is... Um, is talking to God and he's saying, God said, you know what? These people have turned their backs against me. I'm going to start over with you. Actually, you guys move on. I'm going mean, to, you guys go ahead and move on and I'm not going to go with you anymore. It's amazing. Moses turns to God and he says, well, I'm not moving if you're not going with us. He, he, he turns towards God and says, listen, you said, you promised that you would be with me. I said I didn't want to do this and you said I'll be with you and so now I'm calling you on this. I'm calling you back to the thing that you said you would do, the thing that you would be. Remind you of your promises God, you have to be consistent. How in the world does Moses speak to God like that? How does he have that kind of audacity, that kind of chutzpah? When we see probably most Maybe most poignantly because of who it is in in Christ in the garden. In Matthew's account, you see Jesus three different times coming saying, Lord, would you let this cup pass from me? But, But not as I will, as you will. And he goes back and finds his disciples asleep and comes back and prays one more time. The same prayer, it says. And then he comes back, they're still asleep, and he comes back and he prays the same prayer again. Pleading, asking the Lord. So it's all over in the scriptures. This audacious, persistent, expectant, Lord, I have to see this change. Something has to happen. So what, what does this persistence, persistent prayer produce? That is a great alliteration. Well, persistent prayer produces, the results of persistent prayer are a couple of things. First of all, it, it, it purifies. It, in a sense, it cleanses our prayers. It allows our prayers to become, through their repetition, to be honed over time, to evaluate the motive underneath the motive, to, to discern what kind of demands are embedded in them. We are just praying this morning, and Art was saying, like, Lord, we don't demand this, we ask this. What kind of of demands are in it? What what kind of tentacles of of idolatry are wrapped around the thing that I'm asking for? And and as we persist and as we pray the same things over and over again, as we say, Lord, this seems like the right thing. This seems like the thing that I would want or that you would want or that I would want or that you would want. It seems like something that's good. And I'm gonna keep coming back and keep asking. It purifies our heart. It begins to cleanse us. It gives us an opportunity for Refinement, both the heat and the time do their work. Well, that's one of the pres- results of a persistent prayer. The other is is that it clarifies our prayers. Is this really what we desire? Is the thing that I'm asking for? the real thing, or is there something deeper? Is there something more that I'm actually longing for from the Lord? Is there a thing under the thing that I truly desire? I pray more persistently. We make room for God to reshape and reorient our hearts towards his good purpose and his kingdom. By praying more persistently, we make room for God to reshape and to reorient our hearts towards his good purpose and towards his kingdom changes our hearts, he clarifies our prayers. And third, he builds patient endurance in us, which none of us want. (laughs) By praying with persistence, perseverance, shamelessness, God builds something in us. Henry Nouwen says, the paradox of prayer is that it asks for a serious effort while it can only be received as a gift, we cannot plan, organize, or manipulate God. But without a careful discipline, we cannot receive Him either. And as we said, prayer is about receiving the Lord, receiving His truth, receiving our, our, His very being into us, being changed by our experience of Him. And so it's it's gift, but it's a labored gift. It's a persistent, persevering gift. It's continuing on. Which is one of the reasons why at the beginning of Luke 18, Luke tells us, just in case you are wondering what this parable of the um, persistent widow is about, let me just tell you. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. If there's something, if you want to try to imagine, it's one of the reasons why Jesus did stories. If you want to imagine this woman who's longing for justice, someone is taking advantage of her. From the parable, someone is taking advantage of her. She has enemies who are, not, who, are, who are getting away with something and the judge is not helping. And she's asking and asking and, and asking. And Jesus said, the point of this whole entire parable is don't give up. Don't quit. Stay at it. Stay at it. Keep going. Keep going. Don't quit. Stay at it. It's the entire purpose of the parable. He's saying, God hears you. Stay at it because you're probably going to have to wait and potentially you're gonna have to wait longer than you anticipate. Certainly longer than you want. So our passages like 2 Peter 3, 9 are both of comfort and of perspective. Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. What this means, in essence, is that our expectations of God's time frame is not necessarily consistent with ultimate reality. What is slow is not slow to God. But he's patient towards you in the midst of it maybe being slower than you would want it to be. One of the things that God gives us as we continue It gives us an opportunity to see him meeting our needs as we persistently pray here. He meets our needs and it potentially changes the way in which we pray for our longings and desires. And so my question to you is, what have you stopped praying for? What have you you given up on? What has been either too painful because, because it's just been too long of asking and not seeing answers to, or, or or what is it that you feel like you're just not worthy to be able to ask anymore? What have you stopped praying for? What is it in your personal life, in your, in your relationship with God, in your, in your interior world, or in your, in your exterior, exterior actions that, that God is inviting you to bring back to him, to, to shamelessly ask him for, to knock, 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 knock? What have you stopped praying for? What, what, what relationship is intention or marred or, or just in disrepair or that God's inviting you to begin to pray for again. What have you stopped praying for? What have, you, what have you let go because it's just not gonna get any better anyway? And you've forfeited some of the gifts of persistent prayer. What, um, what, what coworker, what friend, what neighbor who doesn't know Jesus is longing for you to be persistent on their behalf, to be knocking, knock, knocking at heaven's door Like, who's longing for that from you? What participation is God inviting you into in that? What shameless audacity on the behalf of someone else or something else is God going like, yes, bring that stuff to me and keep bringing it to me? Persistent prayer is active waiting. Persistent prayer is active waiting. But what's pivotal, you're, you're never gonna be able to do these things. I mean, how many, how many of you have started praying about something saying, I wanna pray about this for a long time and have stopped praying about it at some point in your life? Anyone else? Uh, to pray more honestly was one of our things, so it's really important that we do all do this together. We've all been like, oh, you know what? Like, I'm gonna, this is coming before the Lord all the time. This is really important. This person really matters to me or the situation is out of my control and if God doesn't fix it, and so I'm gonna pray about this every day. We pray about this every hour. Persistent. Well, not so persistent anymore. God's inviting us. And we can't do it. Not unless we're coming out of the right basis. What is the basis? How do we come out to be the kind of people who will persistently pray? Well, think about what Jesus, how Jesus is calling us to pray. How can Jesus call people to pray to God like this? Audaciously, shamelessly. How does he do it? Isn't it it disrespectful to God? I mean, come on. Can you really talk to God shamelessly? Can you just knock, 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 and just. Can you really? impudent. It's not sweet. It's rudeness. Okay. The word is not, and Jesus could have used other words, by the way. No, it's like, I will not let this go. And I don't even care how it comes across. If God loves us. Why would he, and he knows what we need. Why would he call us to pray like that? With that kind of audacity and shamelessness. Why would he call us to do that? Why pray shamelessly? Well, the simple answer is, we pray shamelessly because we're his children. And the more that we pray shamelessly with audacity, the more we become like his children. Let me see the children in the room. If you're a child, raise your hand. Well done, see children raise their hands. Gosh, we can learn so much. You can put your hands down. <laughs> the commitment. Um, if you're thirsty at three o'clock in the morning, kids, can you go into your parents' room and ask them for a drink? <laughs> Little children. <laughs> when Haley was, um, was, you know, feety pajamas that season, um, some, often in the middle of the night, she would come, you know, knock on the door and it was always like, knock, knock, push, you know. Um, it's 3 a.m., you know, so, uh, and she would often ask us for a drink. And um, now, if Becky, in the middle of the night at three o'clock in the morning had rolled over and been like, hey Matt, can you give me a glass of water? I'd be like, Are right, are you sick? No, you're not sick. Did you did you break your legs? <laughs> why am I getting you a glass of water? Get your own glass of water. But that's not the case with little Haley, is it? No, no. I get up and I get her a glass of water. Why? Because because she can ask. Because she's she's a child. That's one of the reasons why Haley can text us 65 times in a row to get our attention. Because she knows that she belongs to us. That that we love her and that she can she can knock like that and. And she's not at risk of not being accepted. She knows she's a child. She knows she belongs. You see, only children are audacious with their parents. What's, what's, of course, terrible is we lose that, right? I mean, all the kids whose faces went down like, yeah, no, I can't interrupt my parents in the middle of the night. That doesn't go well. Is all, all, we, we begin to lose it, right? But when you're a little child, you'll ask your parents for anything, shamelessly. It's a snow day. Can we go to Disney World? <laughs> That's reality. Shamelessly, though, right? Why not? How come? If I pack my own bag, can we go? You know, I mean, it's just shamelessly. Why? Because, because they're a child. A child to a father. In the uh, Luke 11 parable... The impudent friend, the metaphor. After the impudent friend, Jesus switches the metaphor, and he goes into a father-child discussion about what, what, what father, when his child comes and asks him for an egg, is going to give him a scorpion, or he asks him for, for a fish, is going to give him a snake. Like that's not going to happen. So he changes the entire metaphor from a, from a friend who's being who's being importuned to to a father and a and a child. Of course, he'd begun the chapter by saying, this is how you pray. You don't pray our king who art in heaven. You don't pray our creator who art in heaven. You don't find yourself praying, to listen, to our, our judge who art in heaven, not even our God who art in heaven. You pray our father who art in heaven. Somehow in the, in the mystery of how God has chosen to design and lay out our relationship with him, he said, I want you to understand that the primary relationship that we're going to have is father and child. And if that's the case, then Jesus goes, Oh, by the way, if that's the case, then you can ask shamelessly. You can come knocking on your dad's door anytime, 3 a.m., about anything, and keep knocking. He hears you. You can come because you're his child. That's adoption. It's possibly maybe the, one of the most profound, if not the most profound theological reality that we get to live and walk in. Some of you know this firsthand, so you know the layers of depths that that I don't even know personally, but... But the fact that we can belong to God because God says we belong to him, that, that we've received not just not just a few benefits, like, like if you're an employer with an employee, like, okay, listen, if I do my work and if I come through, then we have some kind of an arrangement, like you give me some wages and some benefits, and if I do a really good job, maybe I'll come knocking in your office, tap, 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 and I'll be like, what about a raise? You know, that, that's, that's, a, that's an employer-employee relationship. That's not how God works. You've received all the benefits John chapter chapter 1 verse 12 says but to all who have been, who have received him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god we're not getting his we're not getting our wages we're getting belonging and access and with it, an invitation to come to him over and over and over again with what is on our hearts, in our desires, allowing him to refine them through our through his spirit. And this what's amazing about this is this is one of the ways in which you know whether or not you're a Christian. Whether you know you actually understand the gospel. Because if if your relationship with God is one of, okay, well. I don't think I could keep asking about this because, you know, it was a bad weekend or this relationship is not going super well or because of the conflict I'm experiencing or I actually kind of done some things wrong. So I'm not going to be able to ask you anything that then you, you don't you don't know the gospel all the way down in. You're not operating out of of the adoption that is present and real in you, which gives you permission to come and say, I'm a mess. And, but I'm not here talking and asking things of you because of, because of my record, but because of the fact that I've been received by his record. That's, that's the only transaction I can really make. And that's what God invites you into over and over again. So are you relating to God as father or as boss? Is the lack of persistence, of of shamelessness involved in the way in which you're relating to God because you're transactioning with him, because he owes you something maybe, because I mean, you have been good after all, at least better, or better lately. Are your prayers intermittent and formal? Are they only desperation? Or is there a... A shamelessness, this constant knocking. Unabashed. I want to say, don't get me wrong. We're talking about coming audaciously and shamelessly before God. The Bible doesn't mean that we forget the grandeur and the greatness and the glory and the power of God. We don't. It should season and fill our prayers. If you think about um, even even the illustration I give you about, about Abraham, Abraham comes and says, "Hey God, what about what about 50?" And then when he comes back for the 45, he says, "Okay, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord." He says, "So he's like, I, I recognize that I'm speaking to the Lord," and then he says, "I, who am but dust and ashes." So it's still your will be done, right? It's still the prayer of humility. It's, it's all of it mixed in together. I, I happen to know you're the Lord, and I just know I'm speaking to, and i I'm, I'm come to you as dust and ashes, but nonetheless, how about 30? Moses gets near to God, and God says, take off your sandals. You are on holy ground. That's real, and it's, and it's true. Of course, God is majestic. Of course, we don't forget that when we pray. But think about how unbelievable it is that in spite of the fact that he is holy, in spite of the fact that he is majestic, in spite of his grandeur, he still says to come shamelessly. It seems like they both shouldn't be true. The fact that they can both be true is because we're his children. And so we come with both of those things. And ironically, the one ends up leading us to the other. And so we don't come as peasants to the Lord. Oh, we are his servants, no doubt about it. We come as sons and as daughters. And this is the disposition of the un- that is unique to those of us who have been adopted and can unfettered have access to the rights of a child. We get loved ones. We get get audience. Not because of merit, but just like, was it Prince William? Don't they have two kids or three kids? I don't know. I don't keep track of the royals. William, right? Okay. Um, (laughs) There was the wedding recently. I get thrown off. Hey, yeah, Harry's the other one. Um, His kids, when they run into the room, do they have access because they're royal family? No, they have access because they're sons and daughters. Oh, and he's very important, there's a lot of people making sure people don't get to him that shouldn't be getting to him. But you know who has full access? There's little ones. I don't even know that his dad has access to him in that way. But his kids do. And as we, as we close this series, what I, what I wanna invite us into, is to recognize that as we think of the totality of what it means to come to God to pray more, that if we're not coming as his children, as ones who because of the work of another have been brought into a family that can never be taken away from us, we've been given a new name, a new identity, a new inheritance, we're home. It is from that place that we pray. It must be from that place that we pray. If it is not from that place that you pray, then you're trying to appease or please or impress. You're trying to become something instead of because you've already been made something to move towards the one who wants to give you audience, who wants to draw you near, who's made a way for you to be drawn near. So I don't know how far you are away from God today. But I know this, if you belong to Jesus, if you belong to God through Jesus, then you're home. And and, and if you're living like you're not home, knock. Because you have access. Love ones, the Father wants you to keep coming. Pray more persistently is to pray as an adopted child of a listening father, shamelessly asking, consistently returning, and actively waiting. God knows that the best thing for you and the best thing for me is to be with him in all ways and all means. And what's amazing about that is that we're not the only ones who do the knocking God knocks first. He is the prime mover. Revelation 320 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The amazing reality of the gospel is not, not primarily that we have unfettered, shameless access to our Father. It's that we can come knocking at any time. It's the fact that he has come knocking for us, that he's doing so right now in areas of your life that maybe you're not able to hear, that he came first and that he, he knocked and his invitation was, will you let me in? And for those of us who said, you can come in and, and, and eat with me and, and I with you and we'd be, be together, then we get to celebrate a meal that reminds us of that, the depth and the magnitude of what he accomplished in that. He's always knocking. And it's because he's always knocking that you can always be knocking. You see? God himself came into the world and he knocked on your door. He gave his life for you. And we remember that this morning. And to the degree that, that you've received him, that you let him in, that you, that you abide in his love, to that degree, will you find yourself shameless in your persistence in asking him for what he is laying on your heart and for what you're longing for? And, and what's more amazing is to the degree in which that's true, you'll find yourself at other people's doors in Jesus' name, knocking on their doors to invite them home to this place. That's how the gospel works. And that's what we celebrate this morning. As we come and we receive his body, we take it within us and we say, I remember that I'm home. This is, this is the meal for, for people who are home, who are part of the family. It's a family meal. I've been received in Christ and been brought in, adopted sons and daughters. And so if that's you this morning, then, then I invite you to come and receive these elements. Receive them from the father as a child. And if you're here this morning and, and you, you haven't been brought in because you, you at this point, you're like, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. The Christianity is weird and just strange things we read this morning. And I'm not sure what to do with all that. And if that's you, then I want you to, to listen. I want you to listen for the knock. And, and maybe it's faint in you because you're like, la, 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 la. But listen for the knock because Christ is knocking. He is he's drawing you. He's, he's calling you. And if you sense any of that, then, then respond to him open your heart and say, come on in. I don't even know exactly what that means entirely, but I want you to come in. I want you to rule my life. Give myself to you as best I know how in this moment. I repent of all the ways in which I'm trying to make my life work and I give myself to you. Can I be adopted by you? That's what it means to become a Christian, is to be a child of God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, what good news you have given us in Jesus what life you have given us by taking us home and making us your own. And Lord, I just want to ask that for every heart and soul this morning that does not feel like a child, that feels far away from home, that feels, seems rejected, that there would be a turning, that they would hear your, your call, your knocking at the door saying, come home. Father, we ask that um, that we would receive more of you as your sons and daughters, that we would be more bold and honest and truthful, and that we'd be more expectant and, and persistent, that we'd find ourselves more humble and helpless before you as we pray. We want to be the kind of people who are changed into the very reflection of Christ, and we we don't just pray like him, we want to pray in his power and in his life. So would you do that for us in the days, weeks, and months to come? We want to pray more, that we may know and love you more. You're the best thing. So ask that we would receive that even now as we take these elements. In the name of Christ, our Savior, amen. Loved ones, come forward, receive the body and blood of Christ for you.